I want to tell you guys about a friend of mine on Facebook this week. He posted something that caught my eye, and it's partially because of what we're preaching about this morning. You know what we're preaching about? We're looking at the idea of how to overcome temptation. Anybody face temptation this week? <laughs> Laugh. Yeah. It, my friend put this. He said, tonight, I managed to resist temptation. I came extremely close to causing major damage to another friendship with harmful words. But this time, I fought against the temptation and won. Praise God for that. That was his post. So I'm like, man, this is what I'm preaching about. I got to connect with him and talk to him about how did this process work out? How, what did it look like when you overcame that temptation? And as we shared, he told me that somebody had said something to him, someone close to him, that, that really hurt him. And so he got on his computer, and he had this whole email all ready. It was a scathing email, ready to nail this person back. And he said there, there were some voices in his head. I got the picture of the old Tom and Jerry episodes, or Bugs Bunny with the two guys on the shoulder. The, the first voice was saying, yeah, hurt them bad, because they hurt you. Make them suffer because they deserve it. And he had his finger ready to hit the sin button. But then he said there was this second voice. And, and he had this flashback of another time in his life where he did this. Where he sent a letter like this. And he remembered the, the hurt and the pain and the shattered trust. And he described this other voice as the Holy Spirit. And he said this. He said, perhaps that was Jesus himself speaking to me. I felt as if Jesus was right here in the same room last night. In fact, I'm almost sure of it. And he said, as he listened to this second voice, it was a calmer voice. And he said, I knew that there was a choice to be made between what was quick and easy and what was right and proper. And I knew which choice I had to make. But I loved what he said at the end. He said this. He said, one reason this victory was possible is because I've been spending so much of my time in constant communion and meditation with God directly in a way that I've never before experienced. He went on. He said, his word is not just in my mind, but is being imprinted upon my heart. And somehow, without knowing how I know, I know that God was helping me prevent that impulsive temptation from coming to pass. And I know without question that Jesus is smiling for my not having given into it this time around. <laughs> I said, praise God, man. I got to share that on Sunday. He says, share away. How to overcome temptation. We all know the struggle. It's real. Every moment of every day. And we're going to see it in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane, that word Gethsemane means olive press. There are a lot of olive trees there. You take the olives off and you squeeze them and the oil comes out. We're going to see what comes out of two different individuals as they're squeezed in the press of temptation. One is Jesus and one is Peter. And we're going to learn from Jesus, how to overcome temptation, okay? Verse 39 of Luke chapter 22, I want you to go with me. 
Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Luke doesn't tell us it's the Garden of Gethsemane, but the garden was on the Mount. And his disciples followed him. This was a common practice. Many people believe there is a wealthy follower of Jesus that owned this garden and allowed Jesus and his disciples to go there. We, we read earlier in the Gospel of Luke that during this last week, he's been going there every night. So this pattern of going to this garden and praying is just part of Jesus' life, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. I want to tell you the main heart of our message today is that prayer is one of your primary weapons in overcoming temptation in your life. That's, we're going to hammer that home many times. But first I want to show you our Savior and His prayer. And I want to show you His strength that was derived through prayer. Because we know Jesus was fully God, but He was also fully man. And throughout his ministry, we see this desperate connection with this father that carries him on, doing the father's will. Watch in verse 41. And we'll see Jesus' example of strength and weakness. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What cup is Jesus looking at? The Old Testament talked about the cup of God's wrath many times. You know, we think about the physical suffering of the cross, but I believe the part Jesus dreaded the most was having been in perfect fellowship with his Father for all eternity. He would take our sin upon himself. And the moment he feared the most was that moment when he cried out to his Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of God's holiness, when His Son had our sin upon Him, He literally turned away for the first time in eternity. There was something between them. Can you imagine Jesus looking at that moment? That's why He says, if you're willing, take this cup from Me. He's honest about this struggle, but He comes to, yet not My will, but Yours be done. He lays it down to His Father. Now watch what happens in verse 43 in response to his prayer. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Wow, we've got some supernatural stuff going on in an olive garden. (laughs) This angel is coming to Jesus. You remember they helped him after his temptation at the beginning of his ministry, right? They came to him in the desert. This angel strengthened him and watch this. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Why do I call it strength and weakness? I call it strength and weakness because he receives this strength from the angel, from his father, but still in the very next verse, it says being in anguish. He was in agony. He was experiencing pain. But in the middle of it, he prayed more earnestly. How much agony was he in? His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, people have watched people waiting for execution throughout history, and they've noticed this phenomenon of people being in such intense 
stress about their coming execution, that the capillaries literally break and blood pours out through the skin with the sweat. Jesus was carrying this weight. And that's why I call it strength and weakness. And I think the application, look, a lot of times when we pray for God's strength in the middle of our trials, how many of you know it doesn't always result in the trial going away? Right? But what it does result in is we receive the strength we need to remain faithful in the middle of the trial. To hold on to God and not deny Him and not turn away and to follow His will even through the trial. This is part of why I love Jesus. This strength and weakness. No other God understands this. John Stott talked about how he spent time in Buddhist temples. And he goes in there and he he looks at the, the statues of Buddha sitting there fat and happy with this little curl of smile on the the edge of his mouth, seemingly removed from the world's trials. And he says, I can't look very long because I have to turn away and in my mind I go to my Savior who knows what it is to suffer, who knows what the Garden of Gethsemane is, who knows what it is to have holes in his hands and in his feet because that's a Savior that I, will, I can love, I can worship, because He knows my pain. He knows my pain. Verse 45 says, When He rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray, so that you will not fall into temptations. And we know from the other Gospels, this didn't happen just once. Three times Jesus came back and said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray. Why are you? Now, now, you guys know growing up, if your parents say something three times, it's important, right? You better do it. This is huge what he's telling them. But why are they sleeping instead of praying? It says they're weary from their sorrow. He's told them a lot of hard things earlier this night. He's told them they're going to be scattered and he's going to go to the cross. Their sorrow made them tired. And it teaches us that it's at moments like that where we're vulnerable and we need to pray all the more. If you're tired and sorrowful, maybe you need to stay up and pray. If you're hungry, if you're weak, if you're torn inside, you need to pray all the more because that's when we're vulnerable. I thought about this and I was thinking about Kim Jong-un this week, the North Korean leader. You guys probably heard that earlier this week he said, I want all of our nuclear weapons made ready so that we can use them at a moment's notice. He told his military that. I thought, man, what, what, what's he want? He wants to be able to make a preemptive strike. I thought the way he wants to be with his nuclear weapons is the way we as Christ followers ought to be with our prayer. That it's always ready. That it's always there. You know, Paul says pray without ceasing. In a chapter about spiritual warfare, he says pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Our, Our hand ought to always be on that prayer button. We ought to live in that conscious fellowship with our Father. You remember that from Keith's story, right? So he said, he said, the reason I was able to overcome this temptation is because I've been spending time with my father. 
He's imprinting his ways on my heart. It was a preemptive strike against the enemy. There is an enemy. Satan comes to steal our integrity, to kill our relationships and our families, and to destroy our churches. He prowls like a lion. That's what Peter wrote later. He knows it, doesn't he? (laughs) The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're battling against us. UFC, I don't know. Did anybody watch the fight last night? No UFC people in here. I didn't either. But I follow the news on it. Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz had a big showdown last night. Diaz won. It was an upset. I saw in the news this week that even at their weigh-ins where they come together and talk, there were t- two times where those guys couldn't keep their hands off each other. They, they, were, they were ready to fight and they were hitting each other even at these weigh-ins. You know, I was thinking about that. They, they want to come at each other. And that's how Satan is with us. He wants to come at us. He wants to tempt us. That's how our flesh is. That's how the world is. But I think sometimes we're just standing there oblivious to it. Disciple wrote a song called Game On. that said, I didn't even know that you and I were cross until a sneak attack from the weak side. Unaware that we were in a fight. I guess that's part of the problem. Some of us don't even know there's a fight going on. And they're coming at us like those guys were going at each other, but we're, we're living in fairyland. You don't realize there's a fight going on. We need to wake up to the fight. Later on in that song, when they become aware of the battle, they say this, when, when you come against my country, when you come against my family, you try to destroy my people, I can't just stand by. There's no way that I can stand by. This time, I will not stand by. We need a church of people that will live with that heart. I will not stand by while Satan seeks to blow up my home. I will not give in to the temptations that he's working on me that will ruin my family. I will not give in to the temptations that will destroy my church and my nation. I will stand in the gap and pray to resist temptation. Skillet wrote a song called Sick of It. Some of us need to get sick of it. Sick of giving in to temptation and allowing Satan to have his way. The song says, are you sick of it? Raise your hands. Get rid of it. While there's a fighting chance. I think about this. And what I'm about to say, I say Literally may make you uncomfortable, but I say it literally, all right? One way to blow the hell out of Satan's plans for our lives is to pray before the temptation even comes. We need to be a people who pray before the temptation even comes. How do we live this out? Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer, at the end, you remember? He said, pray, lead us not into temptation." but deliver us from the evil one. I thought, how powerful would it be if we were a church of people that every morning we got up and you think through your schedule, right? You think through who you're going to meet with, what you're going to be facing, because we know. We know the people that are going to push our buttons. We know the situations that are hard and pushing on us that, that might push us over the edge. Most of us know. Take those to the Lord and say, Father, before it even comes, I'm coming to you saying, lead me not into temptation. 
deliver me from the evil one. And then live throughout the day in the faith that he's going to answer that prayer. Aware when the temptation comes and saying, no, I will not go there. I'm going to live in the strength of Jesus. You want to see that strength? Jesus had prayed. He was strengthened by an angel. And he continued to pray more fervently, earnestly. Watch his strength. Verse 47. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. You see how Luke sort of distances Judas from the rest of them there? The, the man who is called Judas was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? That's hard to understand the pain in Jesus' heart. It's like it or not, Jesus had spent three years with this man eaten many meals with this man. And he knew what Judas' act would do. That it would lead to his coming arrest and his trials. But calmly, boldly, he stands there and looks at Judas and says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Strength in the middle of the fire. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? They don't wait for an answer. One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. We know from other Gospels, this is Peter. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. How many of us would be peeing our pants if the authorities showed up to arrest us? Right? Here's Jesus asking the questions. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. John gives us an even more powerful glimpse of Jesus' strength in this moment. I love what John tells us. Makes me love Jesus all the more for his power and his, his strength. He looks at him in John 18. He says, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And John says, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> A massive group of people, Jesus speaks, I am he, and they fall down. Strength in the middle of trial. He had been strengthened by his father. He had been strengthened by that angel. He remained faithful. In contrast... I want to look at Peter's weakness. And as we look at Peter, I think all of us can relate to Peter. Can we not? I love Peter too. Peter loved Jesus. Like many of us do. I want you to see his weakness. Maybe in it we'll see our own. Seizing him, verse 54, they led Jesus away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Hey, at least he followed, okay? He, he followed. We know from other Gospels that John did as well. They may have been the only two at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. 
Woman, I don't know him. The Savior he'd spent three years with, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Other gospels say he called down curses at that moment. He's so upset. I don't know what you're talking about. It says, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. You talk about a poignant moment in scripture. Look at this. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. We know from the chronology in other gospels, Jesus' trial was already going. He may have already been getting slapped and spit on. But somewhere in that, he looks at Peter. And the word for looked in the Greek implies concern and love and care. And their eyes lock. Imagine Peter here. He remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Verse 62 says, he went outside and wept bitterly. The pain of that moment. This was Peter who, moments before in the upper room, said, Lord, I'll die with you. Even if the rest of them fall away, not me. And here he is in his moment of, of sin and, and failure, and he weeps. Justin brought up this week that Jesus had said earlier in the Gospels, whoever would follow me must deny himself and follow me, take up his cross. Peter did the exact opposite here. He denied Jesus and embraced his own safety and comfort above his Lord. One thing that I hold on to in the middle of this, that weight that Jesus was carrying in the garden, was the weight of what Peter did here, is the weight of what you and I have done. That weight that Jesus was going to was Peter's sin and your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross. Jesus looked at him in love, but Peter wept. And I believe in that forgiveness. That's the only thing that gives us hope is the grace of Jesus Christ because of what he did for the, at the cross. It's the only way we can have hope But I also want to say, sometimes we've crept into this mindset that says, well, I know that forgiveness is there, so I'm going to sin. And Jesus will forgive me. And we approach the Christian life with kind of a defeatist mentality. I know Jesus will forgive me, so I'm just going to go ahead down this path. What Paul said to that, he said, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I believe in that forgiveness and we all need it. But what if we approached life with an attitude of victory, saying, I can overcome this temptation today. Instead of saying, I'm going to fail and let Jesus forgive me, I'm going to overcome this temptation in His strength. I mean, imagine if 
Coaches approach the Christ, the, their, their sports the way some of us Christians approach our Christian lives. Hey, guys, you don't have a chance of winning today, okay? But just go out there. You, you know you're going to lose, but, but we're going to learn something from it, all right? Let's break! Or, or imagine if teachers did that. Guys, we're learning some hard stuff this semester, and I know none of you are going to pass the test. But we're all going to learn something from it, so... Hang in there. Well, the space program. Guys, this shuttle doesn't have a chance of getting there and back. <laughs> but I'm sure we'll all learn something from it. That's, that's ridiculous, right? But how many of us approach the Christian life that way? I'm destined to fail today, this week. But Jesus will forgive me. Yes, He will forgive you. But what if we decided to live in victory instead? What would that change in our homes, in our churches, in our communities? Yes, forgiveness is available, but what if we live in victory instead? I've got to ask the question, did lack of prayer lead to Peter's failure? What if he had prayed in the garden instead of sleeping? Jesus said, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. What if we prayed that we will not fall into temptation? Now, one of the things that we need in our lives is someone to show us where we're vulnerable, where we're weak, all right? How many of you have someone in your life that, that will be honest with you about your weakness? <laughs> I hope we all do. I hope we all do. Jesus loved Peter enough to show him his weakness, Okay, you remember in the upper room, he told him, Simon, Satan has asked you to, to sift all of you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith might not fail, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. Peter was self-confident. Jesus was showing him, that's a weakness, Peter. And then he showed him, you need to pray to overcome this temptation. That was Peter's weakness. He failed. He didn't pray. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes when we've been saved a while, we tend to ignore our weaknesses because we think of them as smaller. But John Newton, John Newton, who had been a slave trader, came to the Lord and wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. You know, imagine the life of a slave trader. You talk about a dirty, sinful life. He came out of that and became a preacher and started counseling people. It'd be easy for John Newton to think, hey, I'm not a slave trader anymore. I'm good. I don't got any faults anymore. But he knew that wasn't the case. And so he wrote out a list of what he called and what many people consider small sins because he knew that the small sins can destroy us as much as the big sins can. And over the years, Tim Keller has looked at this list and he's added to it. And I want to go through this. He gives each person a Latin name that's kind of fun. And then he describes these weaknesses that many good, wholesome-looking Christians carry with them. And Tim Keller regularly goes back to this list and says, Lord, show me if I'm carrying around any of these. Show me where I'm vulnerable. I just want to go through these. And as I go through them, you ask the Lord to show you, do I have any of those sins in my life? Do I have any of these weaknesses? The first character is Austeris. Austeris is a solid and disciplined Christian, but abrasive, critical, 
and ungenerous in dealing with people, temperamental, seldom giving compliments and praise, and almost never gentle. That's austerus. Infidialis is a person of careful and deliberate character, but habitually cynical, negative, and pessimistic, always discouraging. That'll never work. Unsupportive and vaguely unhappy. A few more. Pulsus. Pulsus is passionate, yes, but also impulsive and impatient. Not thinking things out. Speaking too soon. Always quick to complain and lodge a protest. Often needs to apologize for rash statements. What about querulous? We see ourselves in this one. Querulous is a person of strong convictions but known to be opinionated. A poor listener. Argumentative. Not very teachable. And slow to admit wrong. A few more. Subjectio. Subjectio is a resourceful and ambitious person, but also someone who often shades the truth, puts a lot of spin on things, is very partisan, self-promoting, and turf-conscious. Protestus gets things done, but needs to control every situation, has trouble sharing power, has a need to do everything him or herself, and is very suspicious and mistrustful of others. Three more, fragilis is friendly and seeks friends, but constantly gets feelings hurt, easily feels slighted and put down, is often offended and upset by real and imagined criticism by others. Curiosis is sociable, but enjoys knowing negative things about people, finds ways of passing the news on, may divulge confidences, and enjoys confronting too much. Lastly, volatilis is kind-hearted and eager to help but simply not reliable, doesn't follow through on promises, always overextended, and as a result may do shoddy work. We look at that, and that's an uncomfortable list, right? Because some of us come in here feeling like, yeah, I don't do those gross things anymore. What about these? Sometimes it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. And we need to regularly go to God and say, search me, Father, show me if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. We need to ask our spouses and our trusted friends, can you show me where my vulnerabilities are? Because you know what? We almost never can see them. All we want to see is our strength. We need some help to see our weaknesses. Now, what's the good news? Maybe we've seen some of those tendencies, right? Maybe we know we're tempted in some of those areas. Let me give you three points of good news here. Number one, when the temptation comes... We have Christ's power in us. You look at the strength of Jesus in the garden. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have that strength inside of you. Ephesians 3.20, we know this first part. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You believe in that God? He knew more than we can even think to ask or imagine? That's a big God. You know what the next phrase says? according to his power that is at work within us. That God who wants to do and can do things that are bigger than we can even imagine wants to do them in you. In your family, in your church, in your community. A lot of times we pray and we think the answer's out here, but a lot of times God's saying the answer's right here. Be the change. Be the change. Number two, we have angelic helpers as well. The first one's most important. We've got Christ's strength through the Holy Spirit. But secondly, 
Angels come to help us. Did you know that? Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels showing up to strengthen people wasn't just for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe there's a spiritual battle going on, there are angels at His command to help you overcome. And finally, we always, always have a way out. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul listed a bunch of Israel's temptations and failures in the desert. In verse 11, he tells the Corinthian church who was dealing with some sin of their own, some immoral sex and other things, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Isn't that Peter? Lord, even if all the rest of them go away, I'll never desert you. He was pretty sure he was standing firm. Paul says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's a way out of that temptation you're facing today. The question is, do you believe it? Will you take it? I want to close by inviting you to spend some time with God in prayer this morning. We talked about pray so that you don't fall into temptation. I think it would be a shame to leave here without doing that. But I hope this sparks a pattern. Every morning we wake up with this mindset of, Lord, lead us not into temptation. This first prayer time, I want to invite you for just a couple minutes, you and God, talk to Him. You look at Peter's failure, right? And we know that we've all been there. You may be there right now this morning, failing Jesus in church. Are you feeling the weight of that? I want you to remember that that burden that Jesus carried in the garden was Peter's sin and it was your sin and it was my sin. I want you to thank him for that. That as Peter was denying, Jesus was carrying and being faithful to pay for our sin. Confess that sin, embrace his cleansing. And if you're here and if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, say, why not now? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You can experience that freedom today. Just take a couple minutes, you and God. Now I want us to take just a minute and ask God, God, show me where I'm vulnerable. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will, he will come and He will convict. He will show us. You may not remember the Latin names in that list, but maybe some of those characteristics jumped out and God put a finger on it and said, you're weak here. Be careful. I want to encourage you to take that to God. Ask Him to show you. Think about who else you could ask to show you where, where you're vulnerable. And ask Him. Like Jesus told us to pray, Father, lead me not into temptation in this area. This week, deliver me from the evil one in this area where I've been giving in. 
And I want us to be a people who just receive his strength this morning. Maybe an angel will visit you. We know if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He will enable you to do more than you can even imagine to overcome in that area. Receive that, then walk out of here in faith, trusting that he'll do that in you. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to pray on that for a moment. Father, I pray that we wouldn't settle anymore for Jesus, so forgive that. So I'm just going to carry on in my mediocre, half-hearted, failing Christian life. We thank you for your grace, but the same grace that forgives us enables us to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. I pray that you would strengthen your people this morning. God, we need it. We're weak in our flesh. We are overcomers. We are dead to sin, alive in Christ. Help us to reckon that to be so. To live in that power. Speak to your people as they talk to you, Father.